But anyway, the S-O-N is shining here, and I'm glad you are here today. Welcome to you on Facebook. Welcome to you that join us at our website. And we are going to study the Word of God today. You know that we're on the Sermon on the Mount. That's chapter Matthew 5 through 7. And Jesus is teaching us how to live in this world as kingdom of God believers. How Christians are to live in this world is the exact opposite of how the world conducts itself. And Jesus is going to show us that in, the, in these teachings. Today we're talking about retaliation or grace. But I say to you, if you would stand for reading of God's word. Now I want to tell you, last week was difficult talking about divorce. And by the way, for you who were absent last week, I'm going to go through an extensive review just for you. Yes, just for you. Yeah. But anyway, retaliation or grace. How are we to deal with people that treat us harshly? And that is going to be a hard teaching for each one of us. Starting in Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and the good and sends the rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward of you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. And Father, we thank you for these words. And I must admit, Lord, these are difficult teachings for us. We are people that do not naturally gravitate to this sort of teaching. But you are telling us how you want us to act. And you did this, Jesus, while you lived here. And we are to be more and more like you and less like our old selves. So, Holy Spirit, I pray today that you will soften our hearts, open our ears, have our minds clear, and we will hear from you today the word of God that you want for us individually. Speak to us, Lord, things you want us to know. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Oh, <laughs> this is the Word of God. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, yes, yes. One of these days, I'll get it all right. So, you know, the theme of Matthew is Jesus is the promised King. And as I said, we're in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, I want you to realize that each one of you was born into this world, into the kingdom of darkness. And God did a miracle in your life. He extracted you from the kingdom of darkness and he conveyed you into the kingdom of the son of his love. That's Colossians 1.13. It'll come up on the screen. It is this, the father, he, father, has delivered us, all who believe and receive the gift of salvation, from the power, from the dunamis of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love. Colossians 1.13, that word delivered, please, if you have a Bible, write it in there, rumai, and it means to drag with force and violence, to draw out of danger, 
Jesus Christ, the minute you believed in him, the second you believed in him, the moment you said yes to Jesus, you were transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. You had a new ruler in your life. Heretofore, you didn't know, maybe you didn't know it, but you were serving Satan. You can only have one, or one ruler. Either Jesus is going to be your ruler or Satan is going to be your ruler. Most people don't realize that, but either, either it's the kingdom of light or it's the kingdom of darkness. You have a new kingdom. You have a new destiny. And you have a new life as a follower, a follower of Messiah, a follower of the true God. Now, how will a follower look? Well, you're going to obey him. If you really believed in him, you will obey him. Jesus made it very clear. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, that is the person who loves me. He is the one who loves me, John 14, 21. And following the master, following, emulating, being like the master is evidence that were, that were genuine. Jesus said in John 10, 27, watch this. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. And what do they do? They follow me. They follow me. They're not off in a distance. They're not wandering off. They're not just fans cheering for Jesus. They follow Jesus. They do what Jesus says. Our marching orders are clear in Philippians 1, 27. Whatever happens, whatever happens in this world, Conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Folks, it is a radical change. Be, be taken from the kingdom of darkness and put under the kingdom of light. And you will have your nemesis, the world, the flesh, and the devil, fight that change all your life. Your flesh is going to go want, want to go back to the old ways where the flesh is comfortable. We said this over and over. And remember, the battle is for the mind. And Jesus is teaching, in this, in, in this teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, how we are to live out our lives in this evil world. It is very different than the way the world does. But this I say to you. Now, last week, we talked about divorce. And we talked about marriage. And what all of that really means. And I'm going to go through a fairly extensive review of this because most folks weren't here last week. So Jesus said, well, there's, there's several reasons to allow divorce. It's very restricted, but Scripture gives three reasons, and there may be a fourth that's included. Now, remember, Jesus said he allowed divorce. Well, actually said Moses allowed divorce because of the hardness of their hearts in Matthew 19.8. Jesus said the reason he allows divorce is for pornea, pornea, sexual immorality. And remember, I took a lot of time explaining what that was. Any sexual act outside the marriage covenant. You are sinning and you are in danger of what he said. Gehenna says, cut off your arm, poke out your eye. Don't go there. Continual habitual sin. Folks, you're in danger of not being genuine. That's what he's trying to get convey there. And then Paul adds death in Romans 7, 2. And Paul also added desertion of the unbelieving spouse in 1 Corinthians 7, 15. And then I gave to you, some believe that significant, persistent, ongoing abuse, physical, emotional, spiritual abuse are grounds for divorce because they are acting as the unbeliever, leaving the marriage covenant, leaving the marriage covenant. Now, that has, that's debatable with many Christians, but at least I thought I should, should address that because a lot of folks look at it that way. Whatever you, however you look at divorce, God hates it. Malachi 2.16, he hates divorce. And then I went through some statistics with you. 
There was a gentleman named Rich Morin in the Pew Research in 2013. He wrote an article that says, Is Divorce Contagious? And if you remember, the study participants, in the study participants, they were, 70, they were 75% more likely to be divorced if a friend or a family member was divorced. 75%. 33% if it was a friend of a friend. Now, why is that? It seems that our minds, our soul, our thoughts, feelings, emotions process, process this. If they did it, then it's okay for me. It seems to give license for them. And many people rationalize why they're going to get divorced. The list is unending, but I've heard all of these. I'm not going to put up with this anymore. I'm not going to settle. I'm not going to settle. I'm not going to be unhappy. I'm not going to be unhappy. This isn't what I thought it was going to be. He or she are way different than what I thought. Well, yes, that is true. You're marrying a sinners and you're bringing two sinners together, hopefully blending them together, making a commitment for life. It is hard. And they often think there's greener pastures. Remember, I shared this with you. A physician, an MD, Mark Banchik, in Psychology Today said this. He had some other statistic on greener pastures. 50% of the first marriages end in divorce. 67% of the second marriages. And 73% of the third marriages. It's not greener, folks. It's not greener. People often say this. I fell out of love. Have you ever heard that? I fell out of love. I lost that loving feeling. Remember the Righteous Brothers? You've lost that loving feeling. Now it's gone, gone, gone. Hey, that little thing you have in your stomach, that little churning that you get, that excitement that you get, that's a two-year deal, folks. That's a two-year deal. And you have that, 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 that thing's gone in two years. The fact is this. Marriage can get better than the sizzle when true love sets in. I hope you know that. Please know that. Then I wanted to give you some helps with your marriage to, to thrive and, and not just survive. And I have three overheads here that we shared last time. And I wanted to describe here, Jesus is the head. Husband, wife, as you grow closer to Jesus, you will grow, draw closer to one another. But then I emphasized, if one is on the growth and the other one stays down here, the distance is the same and the marriage will still be strained. You must move together in concert towards God. That was the teaching. And then the next slide tells us the circle of, of, of priority. God, number one, husband and wife, under God. Husband and then wife. Husband is to have, have authority over the wife in the, in the husband-wife relationship. All other things are outside of here. You notice that even children are outside of here. Why do I say that? Because oftentimes children try to come in and divide the husband and wife. How about grandparents? They're outside here. There's a lot of good things outside of here. Your work, your church, everything else is outside the main circle. This is your main priority of life. And then the next slide, I showed you the foundation that you have to build on is God. Whatever other priorities you have, are, come after God. Spouse, children, self, etc. So it's important of absolute essence that you build your marriage on being obedient to God. If you don't, if you freelance, you have a high chance of failing in your marriage. So, with that, I then progressed to talking to each person in the marriage relationship, the husband and wife, 
about their role in the marriage. Husbands have a role of loving his wife as Christ loved the church. That's his marching orders. Now remember, I want to I emphasize this. Please hear this, wives. This is God speaking to the husband, not you speaking to the husband. You're supposed to love me like Jesus loves the church. Hey, we're not going to ever do that. I mean, who's perfect? Jesus is perfect. I'm not perfect. It's always going to be a struggle. But remember, it's direction, not perfection. So that's the priority. And that love is written as a present imperative. You should know this by now. A continuing command to love the husband. Or to love the, uh, to love the wife, excuse me. A pres- to love your wives. A keep loving them no matter what the changes are. Look at your wife someday will go through menopause. And you're going to be looking at her going, where did she come from? I can't believe this. This is, this is, that's part of the process. Wives, you're going to look at your husband and go, what happened to him? He was Hercules. He did a decathlete. Look at him now. He can't even move off the couch. People change. <laughs> you love them no matter what. And then I emphasize this. Ephesians 5.28, husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. They are to nourish and cherish it. Now watch this. Husbands are to nourish and cherish his wife, his own wife. Attention should go to nobody else, men and women, your own wife. This will, believe me, this will not be easy. Uh, We have to, we nourish and cherish our wives when we provide for them spiritually, emotionally, and physically. That's how we nourish and cherish our wives. And by the way, men, this will not be easy because of Adam's curse. Remember, you're going out into this world, and your primary role is to be the supporter of the family. And it's thorns and thistles and sweat of your brow. And you're going to go to your workplace, and your boss is going to stink. And your coworkers, you're always going to have a coworker. I can't believe this coworker that we're, they're all, no matter what job you go to, you can switch thousands of jobs. There's always going to be that person there. It's always going to be difficult. And men, your love is to be satis- sacrificial. You work for your family, for your wife and your children. Above all other interests, you hold this family as central and highest. Above hobbies, above softball, above basketball, above, uh-oh, Video games, yes, video games, work, recreation. The husband is to work. Your main responsibility is to work for the family. You cannot punt this to your wife. A lot of men say, hey, I'm going to stay home. I can take care of this. That's an easy job, staying home. Try it. Try it, especially if you've got a bunch of kids you're taking care of. Not so easy. But they, oftentimes they want to punt and have the wife work. Look, at that's your responsibility. Your main responsibility, the wife can help. Remember, I quoted a proverb, Proverb 31, 24. She makes garments and sells them. She, put, so she supplies sashes for merchants. She's out in there trying to help her husband support the family. But that's not her main role because in 31, 27, it says this. She watches over the ways of her household. Children call her blessed. Her main focus is the household, her children. But she can help. A must know for men. Now, if you haven't gotten any of this so far, get this. Get this. A woman's greatest fear is to be treated as an object. 
to be taken advantage of, to not be respected. She's just part of the furniture. She's a house cleaner. She just does the stuff around here. She's the slave of the home. That is not how you address her. A must know for women, for men is this, a woman's greatest need is to be loved and cared for. And you love and care for her by providing for her, protecting her, nourishing her, and cherishing her. Now, men, do you know your role? Yes. Yes, Mr. Gorham. Yes. Genesis, Jesus, know your role? Yes, yes. That's the answer to the question. <laughs> so women, this is your turn. And you're, you're, you're supposed to submit, okay? This isn't going to be such an easy thing either. But again, that submission order is from God to the woman, not from the husband to the wife. That is an absolute essential. Because I have been involved in toxic Christianity a long time. The wife is not submitting to me. Not doing what I told her to do. That is not what's being said here. Does everybody understand that? Just nod your head with some sort. Yes, okay. Please. So wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife. As also Christ is head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. And we've been through this word submit many, many times. It's hupotasso, because that is what we do to our God. We, we submit to him. That is what we are to do to one another, as it goes on in Ephesians, within the, within the body of believers. But wives are to submit to their husbands. This is a present tense imperative. Continue to submit to him, not just when you feel like it or when he's deserving of it. If a husband loves his wife like Christ loved the church, this will make it easier for her to submit but it will always be difficult for her to submit. Do you know why? Because of her curse. Remember in Genesis 3.16, In pain you shall bring forth children, and your desire shall be for your husband. At the fall, women became hypersensitive and hypercritical. There's a something within women that... that desires to run over their husband. The root desire, the, the word desire, the word, root word means to run after, to run over, to overflow. Your curse will be a continual desire to rule your husband, but he will rule over you. That is why when he's doing something, and I said this last time, why is he doing it that way? I can't believe he can't see that's not going to work. I mean, I, you know, let me help him out. You know, women, you have to be very careful with how you deal with your husband. Now, a must-know for women, a man's greatest fear is this, to be dominated or ruled or mastered by a woman, to be found inadequate. And then I said this, that's the reason that most men's love languages, there's five of them, but one of them is words of affirmation encouraging your husband. This is important because wives, you can either build your husband up or you can crush him with your words, a critical spirit, a look. And most of you know what a look is like. I mean, I have a wife and I have a daughter and they can give me the look. You know, like you're, out, you're from outer space, Rick. Yes. A woman should choose her words carefully. And remember this, men walk around strutting like roosters acting like they're big and strong, but inside they're little boys 
and their egos are very, very fragile. You can crush your husband in a second. You can crush him in a second. And please remember this. I, I emphasize this. Divorce is not the unforgivable sin. Oftentimes in the church, people can never do anything because they've been divorced. Look, a divorce is a sin in, in, in most circumstances, not all. There, there's exclusions, of course, that were given in Scripture. But it's not the unforgivable sin. The unforgivable sin we mentioned was blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, mentioned by Jesus in Matthew chapter 7 and other places. And that's rejecting Jesus Christ as your Savior. The nation rejected Jesus, and individual rejection is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And then we talked about just one picture, one more picture, of God's structure for the home. And this was taken from John Barnett. He was the pastor at Calvary Bible in Kalamazoo, an incredible teacher. But the God's structure for the home, and the picture will come up here. There we go. God's plan. Husband, wife, children. There's an order here. God, husband, wife, children. Now, this is what we see in most homes in the West, in America. The wife is leading the, the house. The children are under the wife, and the husband, he's abdicated responsibility. And this is what happens, the consequences. Conflict and stress with the wife. She's in a role that she wasn't made for. Children have tension and confusion, and this dude has withdrawn into passivity. Now, he will go off and he'll get into his drinking thing or he'll, get, or he'll detach from the family in some way, shape, or form that is out of order, out of, out of the way that God has designed it. And remember, we have, our, min, our marriage is a ministry to our spouse. I wanted to emphasize that. Your marriage is a ministry to your spouse. And actually, I think it's the most important ministry that you have. You may have many in serving God. But your ministry to your spouse is number one, I believe. And it's a witness to the world that the world may know, that the world may know that you have been with Jesus. Folks, if you want your marriage to survive, not only survive, but thrive, you have to do it God's way. Never have the concept of divorce as an option. Always, I'm going to, we're going to work through this together, particularly if you're believers. We're going to work through this together. But again, it takes both to work through it. And oftentimes, there's one that wants to, and there's one that doesn't. So that was last week's. Now this week, it gets even more cheery. <laughs> Retaliation or grace. Now this is, this, is, this is something to think about. How are we to respond as kingdom of heaven, true Christians, to unjust treatment, when someone wants to take advantage of us. That is how, that's the question of the day. Now, I have to confess that this is a difficult, difficult teaching for me. I am not built this way. You poke me, I poke you. You bump me, I bump you. That's easy. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, and I can say, oh, yeah, I kind of like that, yes. Yeah, but that's not what Jesus is teaching us. He's teaching us not to resist an evil person in, in verses 38 through 42. And I'm thinking about that, and I'm thinking, what? What? You, you're, this is like an impossible thing. Well, let's go through it together. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And you're kind of okay with that statement as you're reading through this. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn to him the other also. Now, I don't know if you've ever been slapped. 
But it is not a knockout blow, but it is something that gets you a little percolating. Somebody slaps you, and right away, boom, man, you want to, there's, there's, it goes from slaps to, you know, to something a little bit bigger. That's how we're geared. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, take away your stuff, let them also have your cloak. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with them too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. Hard, hard teaching. Is everybody with me? Is everybody, anybody, this, this just, just resonates with you? you just cheery, cheery, cheery to hear this? Well, just rub a little bit of that cheeriness on me. It seems that Jesus is helping us to focus on the law of love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Love starts with God, imparted to us, and it flows into you and from you into your world. Okay, that's how it works. Not resisting an evil person, hear this, hear this, hear this, is supernatural. It is not natural. It is not easy. It will require the Holy Spirit power to do this. This is not an easy thing. Now, I want, to, I want to clarify something before we go any farther into these four things that you don't resist. This is just an example of what not to resist. But what Christ is not saying, what he is not saying here, that you are not to protect yourself or your family. You are to protect your family, folks, and yourself. He is not saying that it, to let yourself be mugged and just grin and bear it. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying to not resist an evil person ever. Christ resisted evil himself when he drove out the money changers from the temple. Christ resisted punishment from the priest in John 18:22. Paul, an apostle, resisted evil in Acts 16:35, 22:25, and 23:3. What Christ is teaching us is this: not to return in kind, not to bear, not to pay back evil for evil, not to bear a grudge. Now, that's not easy, because most people are grudge holders. And if you hold a grudge, you will suffer more than the person you're holding the grudge against. A spirit of unforgiveness affects the person more than it does the perpetrator. Not to bear a grudge or hate those who mistreat you. Not to seek revenge or to look to retaliate. We are to do the supernatural, and that is to love and forgive. Jesus tells us very specifically, I tell you not to resist. Now, this not resisting was giving grace and mercy in a merciless society. This is kingdom of heaven stuff. This is out of this world stuff. This is not natural. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth is found in the Old Testament. Now, it is this principle. It's the principle of lex talianos. Lex talianos. Now, there'll be a Picture that comes up here. Lex Telianos. Tit for tat. Tooth for tooth. Eye for an eye. Law of retaliation. Measure for measure. Now this you resonate more. And I like this. Lex means law. Telianos means retaliation. It's the law of retaliation. But think about this. The law of retaliation required that the punish, punishment match the crime. Not to accelerate it, but it matches the crime. Tit for tat, quid pro quo. This, quid pro quo, you've heard this because it's been all over the news in the past couple of years. It means getting something for something. 
getting something for something. This was actually mercy, this, this, this lex talionis, limiting someone's revenge, restraining evil. Now, careful with tit for tat. Now, there's a couple little things here. This first one, this is tit for tat. I mean, there's cleaning his yard. He's throwing it over here. This guy says, okay, I'm going to throw it back over at you. See, no one actually gets ahead here. But this next one is most interesting. This is this little guy here, and this is actually his bottle. What he wants is his baba. I want my bottle. I want it now. Yo, yo, give me my bottle. Give it now. If not, tit for tat. I will cause you all kinds of problems. I want my bottle, and I want it now. Isn't that just a cute face? The mafia boy. Mafia. Folks, revenge can consume a person. All they think about is retaliation. And that is a joy stealer. That is a peace stealer. If you go through your life because someone bothered you in kindergarten, took your truck, and you're dealing with that your whole life, I want to get back at Roger. He took my truck in kindergarten. I'm 55 years old. And I'm still ticked off at Roger because you got a problem. You have had your joy stolen. You've had someone steal your peace. Jesus says, forgive, forgive, forgive. Jesus will again give us four examples regarding retaliation. And the first one is turn the other cheek. Do not resist a backhand slap. That's actually a backhand slap. That's an insult in the face meant to humiliate your Christian faith. Don't resist this, but don't welcome it. Nobody wants to get slapped. And don't, and, but if it happens for your, for your faith, don't resist it. Your testimony is more important than your ego. Secondly, to sue you or to take your tunic, take your stuff. If they want to take your tunic, give them the cloak. Now, that doesn't rest well with me. Do not resist those who take material possessions if it can maintain peace in that relationship. It seems like there's been a relationship established with that person. If peace can be maintained and restored between you and the other person, then you shouldn't let material possessions be the cause of the rupture of relationship. Now, this is not talking about people who are just trying to get over on you and use it as an excuse to get what you want. Jesus' point here is this. Do not let a material possession be the cause of a disruption in a relationship. That's how I'm seeing this. Now, the next one you will be very familiar with. Maybe not when I first start it, but you will see momentarily. Go the extra mile when an oppressive government like Rome in Jesus' time would exploit the people for gain. Now, we know that governments all through history, all through our world, have exploited people for gain. And we've experienced that, we sense that at least more in our country today with all this stuff that's going on, the conflict that's going on. Nothing new. The Roman Empire, where a Roman soldier had the authority to take someone off the street, press them into service, and say, hey, I want you to carry my sword for, for a mile. It, a mile was the limit. I want you to carry my shield. I want you to carry my bag of stuff. I want you to do whatever I want for that first mile. And what are you supposed to do? No, not limited to a mile. Go the extra mile. This is why Simon of Cyrene was taken to, to carry the cross of Jesus, to go that mile. A Roman soldier could legally do that. Now, a Roman citizen, this was appalling to them. They had a very, the Jewish people had a very difficult time with this. This outraged them. 
not submitting to authority. If you rebel against this and not submit to authority, it's not being grace oriented. Jesus says, go the extra mile. Now, how does this relate to us today? We are not under the boot of Rome. We are not living in a Chinese communist country or any other communist country. We are marching towards Marxism, but we are not there. Okay? We live in a constitutionally guided republic with individual rights embedded in our constitutions. Rights that our wise forefathers cherished. They cherished individual freedom. This is different than Rome. This is different than communist rule where the individual is nothing. In China, the individual is nothing. It's all about the state. But in America, it's the uniqueness of our constitution and the way this whole thing was set up that the individual and the individual freedom was the priority. Very different. The law of the land that you're living in today is one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. They used to say that as the Pledge of Allegiance, didn't they? Okay, when we were younger. That was the, that's, that's a law of the land. The Constitution, the Bill of Rights, gives us these, these rights and, and, and these freedoms. Folks, when the government takes away your freedoms, they are indeed breaking the law. They are becoming illegal oppressors. In that situation, our duty is to resist illegal challenges to our freedom. We have a, a right to do that as Christian people because they are not obeying the law of the land. Christians must be great citizens, exemplary citizens, give due respect to our leaders. Very important. I don't care who the president is. I don't care who your governor is. They have been put in that position. Remember, God raises up leaders and God takes down leaders. And we are to give him respect, be great citizens, obey the laws of the land unless they conflict with the laws of God or the existing laws of the land. We have the Constitution, and when they break the Constitution, we are no longer obliged to obey that. They are the ones indeed breaking the law. That is illegal. In short, be a great citizen, but do not give away your freedoms. You have been put in a country that is unique in all the world. You've been given freedoms that the law guarantees you. And now those freedoms have been threatened more and more, not unlike any other time in the history of our country. And finally, help those in need. Be grace-oriented. And again, this seems to be directed at someone that the person knows. Someone that the person knows. So be generous, but be discerning. Be generous, but be discerning. We are not called to give to those who are lazy, idle, working the system. Why do I say that? 2 Thessalonians 3.10, If a man will not work, neither shall he eat. Jesus is saying we need to be generous, help those in need, but be discerning. Do not enable bad behavior. And let's face it. This teaching, I don't know about you, but it is hard for me. Hard. Impossible. The miracle of miracles that has to occur in you is the Holy Spirit change you. This will not be you, but God in you. Now, this thing of retaliation has not been easy, but it keeps getting harder. 
watch the next section. Love your enemies. And all I got to say is another what? What? Love your enemies. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's what the Pharisees, that's what they, they taught in the Old Testament. But I say to you, he's changing the whole paradigm here. Love your enemies. That's mind-blowing. Bless those who curse you. There's no other religion that does this. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Why? That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Take a hard stop. That word sons is a huios. And a huios is a mature son looking like the Father. When you pull this off, you're not pulling it off. God's pulling it off through. He's working in you. But you are looking more like Jesus. You're looking more like the Father. That is a mature son. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and good, sends the rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. And then he makes this statement. Let this blow your mind. Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your father in heaven is perfect. And as I do a cursory read through that, I just skip to the next section right quick because I don't understand that. Well, hopefully I'll help you with that today. So love your enemies. And again, an impossible command. And remember this. We were all enemies of God before we came into the family of God. But God so loved the world, all of his enemies, that the giving God gave his only begotten son Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God is the example of how to love your enemies. He loves us. He died for us while we were still sinners. That's an amazing thing. So the amazing command is this. We are to love them, to bless them, do good to them, and to pray for them. All written again. Now, you should, everybody should have this down. Present imperative. Tense voice mood. It's, an, it's the imperative mood. And that means it's a command from God. And a present tense, continue to love, bless, do good, and pray. A command from our Lord to you, to us, to me. No exceptions. If you are a believer, if you are a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, this is to you. Now, the question that you have to ask is how? Easy to say. Easy to sit in a place like this and just say, impossible to do in the natural. No human can do this in the natural. To do this, you must, must, must be transformed. You must be transformed. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. This is how you want to really worship God. Sacrifice yourself for him. Do not conform. This is a command. It's the imperative mood again. And do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. You know what it is. Metamorpho, change from the inside out. By the renewing of your mind. Key points. Offer your bodies. An absolute requisite. It's a requirement. If you're going to love your enemies. 
Do not conform to this world. The world's ways are you hate me, I hate you. The Christian way is different. Difficult, different. Be transformed, again, by the renewing of your mind. That's an absolute requisite to loving your enemies. Transformation. And look at He calls you to be a son. If you do this, you are a son. A, remember the huios. You are mature, taking on the characteristics of your father in heaven. That is what we are to do. And then verse 48 is this. The goal is perfection. And I'm going again, what? How does that happen? To be perfect just as your father in heaven is perfect? I know I can't do that. That perfect is teleos. It's perfection of purpose, fit, mature, fully grown. Now look at You're here. You're on planet earth right now. You are still dealing with your fallen, sinful nature. You can't do this perfectly while here. However, you, when you got saved, Christ's righteousness was credited to you. Immediately, he looks at you as he looks at his son. Holy, clean, and pure, we call that justification. You are perfect in the sight of Father because of the blood of Christ. That is what you have to remember. You are perfect. You will not be actually perfect until you're glorified. That's the third phase of salvation. Remember, first phase is justification. Christ's righteousness imputed us. Second phase is sanctification. I'm being conformed to the likeness of Christ. I'm becoming more like a huios, a son taking on the characteristics of the Father. And then the third phase is glorification. That's the, that's the state of perfection. That is when we get to heaven, get our new bodies. Our perfection now is in Christ alone. The goal for you now is direction, not perfection, growing in Christ. And there's a little picture here. It's not about perfection. It's about the direction of your life. Are you on, are you on the track? Are you on, going in the right direction? And the result, you respond to your world differently. If you are going in the right direction, you're going to more and more act as a real son, a maturing son. We are a work in progress, folks. Get on the right direction. Get on the right train. And this world can be confusing. It can give you all kinds of tracks to get on. Get on this track. Get on this track. But the railroad track is make sure you're on the right track going in the right direction, the Jesus direction. I mean, when you get in this world, you're going, which way do I go? Which way do I go? Which way do I go? Make sure you're going on the Jesus track, the straight track. That's important because it's the only track that will get you to heaven. It's the only track that will get you joy and peace in this world. It's the only track that can allow you to live this out. It's the only track. Some closing thoughts. This teaching is hard, impossible, not for the faint of heart, only attainable through the Spirit's power. Now, that's a word, isn't it? The, through the Spirit's power. More on that in just a second. Your job is clear to be transformed, be in a process of change. No Christian, no one is ever saved to remain a baby. A nepios. A nepios. 40, 50, 60 year Christian. Nepios. Everything about you. Never serving, never extending yourself, never getting involved. Just the baby taking up all the resources. That is not why you were saved. You were saved to grow and become a huios, mature. 
The process, you want to get in the growth process. Growing, folks, is not automatic. You will not grow by osmosis. You will not grow by putting your Bible here, putting your little bitty head down, and hoping it all just kind of seeps into your brain. That is not how it works. You will grow when you are working in concert with God. So a transitioned mind growing in Christ is you working in concert with God to change. Working in concert. It will take hard work. It will take persistence. And I want to tell you, it takes time. Time in your life. It takes time to grow. It takes time. But folks, it's worth it. It takes time. It's only in the growing that a spirit of retaliation will diminish. I cannot say that enough. Everyone in here has been offended by somebody. Everybody in here has been taken advantage of to some degree. There are people that have been, been traumatized. There are people that have been it's in school. You've had issues or struggles with the bully. There's always every, every life, there's a bully. There's somebody that's picking on somebody. And some people never get past that. And so they live with revenge or they live with this sadness their entire lives, not being able to get out of that rut. Folks, if you want to have joy and peace, you have to move past that. You have to do that. It's only in the growing that a spirit of retaliation will diminish. It's only in the growing that I can love my enemies. It's the impossible. It only happens if I'm growing. It's only in the growing that I can pray for those who use me and persecute me. If you are a, if you are a cursory Christian, if you are a hanger honor, if you are a fan just waving at Jesus from the balcony and not following him, this won't work for you. And you can live miserable your whole life because you haven't given in to what Jesus wants. He wants you to have joy. He wants you to have peace. He wants you to be able to make it in this life. He is with you, pulling for you. He is, he's given you a spirit that is right alongside you saying, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it. Keep going. Don't give up. You can do it. Don't go back to the old way. You can do it. I cannot tell you how important the filling of the Holy Spirit is. The filling of the Holy Spirit is consensual. When we give in to God and get away from us, then the Spirit of God comes in and fills us. Ephesians 5.17, Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not be drunk with wine, which leads to dissipation. Don't let your life be controlled by substances. Don't let your life be controlled by substances, which is, which are dealing with the flesh. Do not do that. But instead be filled with the spirit. Folks, this is a command to be continually filled. And that word filled is palero. And it means cram full of the Holy Spirit. And when you're crammed full of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit overflows from you into your world around you. Then you can do what Jesus is saying. If you do not have the Spirit of God in a big measure, you will not be able to do this. And you will live in misery. Something God does not want you to do. You have an escape hatch. Take the escape hatch. Take it. You will look different if you're filled with the Holy Spirit. You know how you look? That scripture goes on to say this. You'll start to speak to one another. You'll make melody in your heart. He lifts you. 
You know, he picked me out of the miry clay. He set my feet on the rock to say, he gave a song in my heart today, a song of praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He gives that to you. And then he gives you the, and then giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of Jesus. And then submitting, this is the mutual submission, mutual hypotasso to, 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 the, to, to the fellowship, to the believers. It's mutual. We submit to one another in the fear of God. Folks, not retaliating, loving your enemies is a spirit thing. It is not in us. We must be filled with the spirit. It's the opposite of the world. Believers are to be like Jesus, to be like the master. Now, listen, this is why you can do this. This is why you are called to do this. This is absolutely essential to get. When Jesus was crucified, he was abused. He was persecuted. He was spitefully used. He was tortured. How did he respond? Did he stick his lip out and go, (laughs) no, he didn't do that. He didn't pout. He didn't have retribution. He did not respond to the cruelty. He did not respond to the persecutor's abuse. You know what he did? Jesus prayed for them, just like he's asking us to do. He did. He's not doing something that he didn't do himself. He asked us. He prayed for his persecutors. The first cry from the cross is, Father, Father, you can hear the passion. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That is what we do to the abuser. Father, forgive them. Forgive them. I can't do that in my natural. If somebody has abused me and I'm living in torment, I can't do that without Christ in me, the hope of glory. I can't do that without the Spirit of God. But I can do it through him. And I can release this torture. I don't have to live in this. This is mind-blowing to me what Jesus did. This is impossible. It's beyond my imagination. Think about this. Think of the crown of thorns pressed into Jesus' skull. Now look at We have this little picture here. These, when you go to Israel, they're going to show you some spikes, okay? These things are sharp. They are pointed. And this was meant to do two things to Jesus. It was meant to belittle him. You want to be a king? Boom, here's your crown. And those spikes dug deep into his skull. Remember that. Jesus was beaten beyond human recognition. Isaiah 52, 14 tells us exactly what that looked like. His appearance was marred more than any man. That's what Jesus went through. Father, forgive them. Now, somebody took my toy. I had a problem with Roger in kindergarten. It's real. Roger took my truck. I had to deal with that a lot of my life. Giant spikes were driven through his wrist. Watch this. These are not penny nails. These are spikes that went through his wrist. This is an astounding thing. Now, the next one's going to be a little gross, but I want you to get the picture of this. This is what went through Jesus' feet. This was plastered into that cross. This is brutal. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Look at he's not telling us to do something that he did not do himself. He set the mark. He did it. Not only this, Jesus hung naked on the cross in abject humiliation. His mother, the women, all the people gawking at him, naked, beaten, bloody, humiliated. God on the cross. Father, forgive them. 
Jesus is the one who created the tree he hung on. Jesus is the one that created those killing him. Jesus would die for his torturers. Father, forgive them. Jesus was crucified. Everything he did was for us. For us who did not want him. Folks, this Jesus who knows what you are feeling and going through tells you to be like him. This I say to you. It's hard, but not impossible. If you dwell in him, if you yield your life to the Spirit of God. This I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. That you may be sons, huios, mature, like the Father. You may be sons of your Father in heaven. Can you now see, I'm really hoping this, this resonates with you. Can you now see, we are to be like the master. We are to be like him. We are to show the world that we have been with Jesus. When I forgive someone, they are seeing something absolutely out of this world. They are seeing something out of this world. We are showing the world I've been with Jesus, that the world may know that Jesus really, really, really does change lives. This isn't some make-believe thing, being a Christian. Whatever happens, folks, whatever happens in your life, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Philippians 1.27. Now, God has spoken to us today. And I have to admit, the way I'm wired, this is a hard teaching for me. And I bet it's hard for most of you. We are to obey what he said. Remember Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration when he tore out his exterior and his glory shone through? And his disciples then heard the word of Father saying, Oh, this is my son who I'm well pleased. Hear him. Folks, this is our chance to hear God speak to us. To hear God change us. The son to you, this I say to you, retaliation or grace. Revenge or grace. But I say to you, be like Jesus. Be a grace giver that the world may know what a difference he made in my life. What a difference. What a difference he made in my life. I like this picture. Just imprint it. He did it for us. He did it on Calvary. He did it so that we could live. What a difference he made. I'm blessed beyond all measure, folks, because of my Savior. And then the final picture is this. All, folks, all for his glory. All for his glory. We can't do this for ourselves. We do it for his glory, and then we benefit from it. Think about it. The Beatitudes acting different. These teachings, these six teachings on how we are to deal with life differently. You have heard it said, but this I say to you. Are we going to listen to the master? Or are we going to listen to the words of this world? You have a choice. You can live with revenge in your heart, or you can choose to forgive and really experience the peace of God that passes all understanding. And you can actually have joy while going through this thing called life on earth. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time that you've given us to, to spend in your word. I must admit this is a difficult teaching. Hard, hard for us, Lord. 
Every aspect of it has been hard. We are not geared this way in our fallen state, in our, in our, in our natural being. But Lord, you've changed us. We're being conformed to the likeness of your son. May we get on the right track, the Jesus track, and say, Lord, I'm going to do it your way. I'm tired of doing it my way. I've lived in this misery long enough. I do not want to be joyless, peaceless. I'm going to give this over to you. I ask you, Holy Spirit, to fill me to overflowing. Fill us to overflowing. We yield ourselves to you. And may we be able to walk this out the way you desire it for us to walk it out. Totally contrary to our flesh. All about the Spirit of God working through us. Thank you, Lord, for this teaching. Thank you, Lord, you spoke to me. Volumes. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.